Listener Production. In today's briefing, the Queensland state-run DNA lab and the failure to test hundreds of samples. So the Queensland government's undertaking an inquiry and it's vowed to retest every DNA sample taken in the state for the last four years, which could solve hundreds of cases. Nobody during that murder trial was twigging to the fact that there was something very weird going on here. So this failure in the DNA lab was brought to light by the family of a murdered Mackay woman, Shandy Blackburn. Now, her murder is the subject of Shandy's Story, which is a true crime podcast from Headley Thomas, the same journalist behind The Teacher's Pet. This is Shandy's legacy. It may not solve her crime, Mm. but it will solve many hundreds of others. So in today's briefing, we're going to interview Headley Thomas about what's gone wrong at Queensland's state-run DNA lab and what this could mean for those other families waiting for justice. So that's in the second half of the show. First, today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Thursday, October 13. A class action into the deadly COVID outbreak on board the Ruby Princess has started in the federal court. Yeah, so this was this floating nightmare at the very start of the pandemic, those dark days. Uh, 660 people tested positive to the virus on the ship. Uh, and then it docked in Sydney. Ultimately, 28 people died. So the class action alleges that the cruise charter Carnival and the owner and operator Princess Cruise Lines breached their duties of care. The lawyer representing the lead plaintiff in the case alleges Carnival and Princess either knew or should have known that the cruise wasn't equipped to handle an onboard outbreak and therefore shouldn't have set sail. Yeah, but the thing is, it set sail on March 8 before the global pandemic occurred. So these were very different times where basically everyone had so much less awareness about the risk of a pandemic. So I think this will be a really interesting case to watch. And um, probably won't do too much for people who were sceptical about cruising like you, Rihanna. Yeah, I've got to say, uh, hasn't tipped me over the line yet to go and book one. <laughs> well, we spoke to this woman, Shauna, on the briefing, and she was booking cruises already again in 2020. She was so keen. And we were just like, how could you be doing that given what's happened? She said, these cruises are so much fun. And she talked about the dress-up parties and the food and the friends she made. And I was like, hmm, later in life, I could see myself hanging around the piano and the buffet. I think I'd like my buffet to be on land. (laughs) And Victoria's pandemic declaration has officially ended overnight. It means no more COVID isolation, no more mandatory vaccinations except for aged care prisons and healthcare, and masks are finally no longer required in school. Meanwhile, New South Wales is scrapping its requirement for people to report their positive rapid test results from tomorrow. And mandatory isolation ends for the whole country tomorrow. So, yeah, these are the final parts of the pandemic really fading away. The only thing left is COVID itself, um, which thousands of people are still getting every week. Yeah, and if you're taking anything from Europe, there are, again, uh, new variants coming out as well. So who knows what will happen in the next six months? Yeah, I heard Norman Swan the other day. (laughs) Oh, Norman. See, there's another icon of the pandemic that's slightly faded away, still doing the health report, which is a great show. NASA has confirmed the DART spacecraft it crashed into an asteroid last month did manage to nudge the rock out of its natural orbit. Now, this is a watershed moment for planetary defence and a watershed moment for humanity. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a line out of a movie, doesn't it? That's NASA Chief Bill Nelson there. So 
Previously, we'd reported that they had been able to crash into this asteroid, but we didn't know if they'd actually moved it off its course, and now we know they have. So that's huge. It could mean that if an asteroid is actually coming for Earth, this one wasn't, by the way, but if one actually is, we could save ourselves. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, Hollywood movies becoming true. And yesterday, we brought you the gloomy news from the International Monetary Fund that a third of the world would be in recession by next year. And today, the US President Joe Biden says he's not that worried. Every six months they say this. Every six months they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. There's no guarantee that there's going to be a recession. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. Nearly three quarters of economists in the US think it'll happen by the middle of next year. Yeah, there's so much fear and gloominess around. Um, Joe Biden clearly trying to calm some of those fears, but it does seem inevitable that we're heading for weird economic times. Taylor's oldest time. True as it can be. Uh, tributes have been flowing for actress Angela Lansbury, who passed away at the age of 96. Yeah, the three-time Oscar nominee's career spanned eight decades, so so many generations got to enjoy her work. For my generation, I imagine yours too, Rihanna, it was all about Murder, She Wrote. Mm-hmm, Murder, She Wrote. But I was a Bedknobs and Broomsticks fan as well, okay. and I loved a bit of National Velvet with Liz Taylor as well, which mm. I think Angela's really young in that one too. Right, okay. So you've been going back in time. Um, Angela Lansbury became famous to a whole new generation when she starred um, as Mrs. Potts in uh, Beauty and the Beast in 1991. So, yeah, she, she had a massive career and died at the ripe old age of 96. All right, Rihanna, we'll catch you again tomorrow. Katrina Blouse is about to join me as we look at the Queensland Forensic Lab debacle. All right, now to our briefing on the problems with Queensland's state-run forensic lab and their DNA testing. Katrina, this is a story that's got a lot of attention in your home state of Queensland. Yeah, it has been huge news and understandably so. In June, the Premier in Queensland, Anastasia Palaszczuk, announced an inquiry into this lab. All of this started because of a podcast into the death of Shandy Blackburn and the handling of the DNA samples from that bloody murder. In 2013, 23-year-old Shandy Blackburn from Mackay was murdered in the most horrific of circumstances. A man was charged but acquitted. A coronial inquest found no conclusive DNA evidence was found at the scene. This raised questions about the conduct of the lab. It certainly did. And now we have an inquiry looking at the conduct of the lab. And the creator of the podcast, Shandy's Story, Hedley Thomas, has now launched a second series called Shandy's Legacy. Now, Hedley Thomas is the same guy behind the Teacher's Pet podcast. I've gone back to the night of Shandy's murder and delved deep into her life to try to find out who killed this young woman and why. So Hedley Thomas joins us now to explain what happened to the DNA in Shandy Blackburn's case and why it's blown open this inquiry into the Queensland DNA lab, which may actually go on to solve hundreds of other cases. Hedley, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us, why did you investigate this case in the first place? What was it that set off your alarm bells? And when exactly did those alarm bells ring? 
I read the most extraordinary findings, Tom, made by a coroner in the sugar and mining town of Mackay, and his findings dealt with the death the very brutal stabbing death of a young woman called Shandy Blackburn in Mackay in early 2013. She was 23 years old. She was walking home from her shift in a coffee shop. It was after midnight and she had just turned the corner to go to her mother's home when a figure raced across two lanes of traffic across a little island of grass and you actually see this figure in CCTV footage, just this obscure running man And we don't see an attack, but we know that within seconds, Shandy's lying in the gutter, bleeding from more than 20 stab wounds, including significantly to her face and her head, a very personal attack. And the coroner had found in 2020, after a very detailed examination of the evidence and inquest, that she was killed by her former boyfriend, John Peros that he had been driving around waiting for her to come around that corner and he had stalked her, then ran after her, came up behind her and stabbed her to death. But, and it's a big but, Tom, Mm. he had already been found not guilty in under two hours of deliberations by a Supreme Court jury in 2017 following a murder trial. So a very unusual sequence of events. So with a stabbing that brutal, there must have been a lot of blood on the scene. And with that, you would think DNA evidence. And you and Kirsty Wright, a forensic scientist, have looked very closely at this. So what happened with the samples collected in that investigation into Shandy Blackburn's killing? At the murder scene where Shandy was stabbed to death, it was incredibly bloody. She bled to death in the gutter near her mum's home. So a very rich source of at least her own DNA. But you would expect there to be transfers from her offender, sweat, skin and so on. And the police also believed that if John Peros killed Shandy, there would be blood transferred into his car, onto his seat, foot pedals and so on. But when trace DNA samples were taken from the car, no DNA was detected not of Shandy and not of John or anybody else. So that's where your heckles went up. You're obviously looking at going, well, you should at least be able to get evidence of his DNA in the samples from his vehicle. Yes. And then samples collected by police scientific officers from the gutter where Shandy bled, tested for DNA. It's actual blood samples. It's described in the sample documentation as pool of fresh blood. And the lab comes back with no DNA detected. Now, as Kirsty said, that's impossible. That's fundamentally ridiculous. There has to be DNA there. What's going on in the lab? If the lab can't detect DNA in a fresh pool of blood, Shandy's blood, then there's something very wrong going on here. So it's both. You should be able to detect his DNA in his own vehicle and you should definitely be able to detect her DNA in her own blood pool. Yes. And so those two facts were not presented to the jurors. They weren't raised by the judge. They weren't raised by the prosecutor. Nobody during that murder trial was twigging to the fact that there was something very weird going on here. So when was it then that those questions surrounding the lab and their processes started to get taken more seriously because initially when it was put to the Queensland government, the Premier was quite dismissive of that. 
That's right, Katrina. We started broadcasting and publishing these very grave concerns in late 2021. So from November of that year, these concerns were being very prominently broadcast and published in the Australian and across our digital network. We even held a press conference with the victim's mother, Vicky Blackburn, and sister, Shana, as well as Dr. Kirsty Wright and another lawyer, where the concerns were so strongly expressed about how this lab was broken. The lab had fundamental failures and needed to be shut down, according to Kirsty Wright. The ramifications of this is just mind-blowing to me. The Queensland government, you know, initially saying nothing to see here, nothing going on here, to now saying, okay, we're going to look at every single DNA sample taken over the last four years and retest them. Do you reckon if it had not been for your podcast, we would never have got to this stage? Undoubtedly. The government wanted this to go away. It was... I think, being hosed down by senior bureaucrats in Queensland Health. So given what you know from the interim report from the inquiry so far, from your own investigations, from Kirsty Wright's criticisms of the lab, what do you think was going wrong when you put all that together? Is it that they were testing and getting the wrong results or is it about the threshold at which they tested the samples? I think it's a combination of things, but overriding them, the main problem is the lab's scientific management did not want to have backlogs of evidence. And the way testing works for DNA is there are several stages before a final result is produced. The lab wanted to cut the testing process significantly so that the risk of a backlog would be minimised. How do you cut that backlog? How do you cut that risk? You don't fully test. You stop testing at an early stage. Now, for most people who are following programs like CSI and imagining that scientists are absolutely dedicated to solving violent crimes, we're talking about really serious sexual assaults, rapes and murders. We imagine that the lab scientists are exhaustively testing to the nth degree every DNA sample submitted. But what was actually going on was that the scientists were trying to persuade the police to agree to a system where the testing would be shortened, where the final stages of testing would not occur in an overwhelming number of cases. And that would improve the lab's throughput, according to the scientific managers. Now, Not only did it not shorten turnaround times, inevitably what that led to was many samples that contained DNA not being fully tested, therefore not producing the DNA that is required to lock up very dangerous criminals. So tell us about the threshold decisions they were making. How were they deciding which samples to test properly and which samples to let go? When the DNA samples come into the lab, they can work out from an overview of the sample roughly how much potential DNA is there. And from that, then they run a more detailed process which allows them to extract the DNA. What the lab management wanted to do was have a high threshold for that initial stage so that unless there was a really large, rich source of DNA 
the samples which contained a smaller amount of DNA that would have been harder to extract and would have required the more detailed, time-consuming processes, they would be put aside. They would just not qualify for being fully tested. Those are the samples which are now being fully tested and which are actually yielding the DNA, which is causing offenders for the first time to be told, we've got you. So of those samples that they decided to previously not test that are now being retested properly, what proportion of those are yielding conclusive results? We are seeing evidence from the police, which is showing that in sexual assault cases, it's 60%. And that in other violent crimes, it's around 30%. So from 0%, because they weren't being tested at all, to 6 in 10 in sexual assaults. Going back to the beginning, what do you think this is going to mean for Shandy Blackburn's family? Yeah, because her case, if I can just jump in, was just like the one you described where there was blood everywhere. So what happened to those samples? Will they be retested? What will it mean for for her case? All the samples that would be relevant from Shandy's case are being retested and Shandy's family is very hopeful that it's going to make a difference in identifying Shandy's killer, whoever he is. John Perros has always emphatically denied killing Shandy and he was found not guilty. It's important for us to emphasise that. Shandy's mother and sister agree with the coroner. So the family hopes that retesting will finally resolve this case and possibly if it is matching to the person the coroner found killed Shandy, leading to a second trial, overcoming what's called double jeopardy. Alternatively, it could identify someone else. But whatever happens, Vicky and Shana are just so amazed and grateful for what's happened because this is Shandy's legacy. It may not solve her crime, Mm. but it will solve many hundreds of others. That was Walkley Award-winning journalist Hedley Thomas and the inquiry into the Queensland Forensic Lab started holding hearings last week. So if you want to follow that closely, listen to Hedley's podcast called Shandy's Legacy. And we plan to get back into this story with another briefing when the next major development comes in the inquiry or, if there is one, in Shandy's case. By the way, we did reach out to the Queensland government to comment on this story to provide an interview or a statement into Headley's investigation. And a spokesperson called us to say they wouldn't comment at this time because it would be inappropriate to do that while the inquiry is underway. Tomorrow on The Briefing, there's been so much news out of Ukraine this week. So we're going to cross to an Australian who's living there to get the latest on the conflict with Russia. Listener.